Listener Production. Comedian Nazim Hussain has done a lot of things. He created a TV show on SBS, Legally Brown. He made the grand finals of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here a few years ago and has recently added children's book author to his accolades. In our chat today, the failed lawyer shares his most terrifying performance experience to date. And I thought it might have been filming a Netflix special, but no, that wasn't it. So you're going to find out what that was what he has next for audiences. And we also explore the line between politics and humour and what happens if the powers that be think you've overstepped. And later in the show, Helen, my very kind, very cool producer, far cooler than me, joins me for the weekend list where we chat about what we're currently watching, doing, listening to and everything in between. But first, here's my chat with the comedian whose Netflix show called Public Frenemy also happens to be one of my favourite frenemies, Nazim Hussain. Nazim, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. I'm going to start off by asking, did you always want to be a comedian? And I want to hear the funniest talking to you got from a relative who was like, be an engineer, what are you doing? Well... Hmm. Yeah, I didn't, didn't always want to be a comedian. I didn't even know I wanted to be a comedian when I started becoming one. It was just sort of like, it was just a bit of a progression. Yeah, um, right. Like addiction, you know, it just sort of sneaks <laughs> up on you until you realise, I can't get out of this, I'm in too deep. But um, yeah, I was sort of mucking around. Probably started, well, I was always like, was I always a class clown? I probably was. Always just making the teacher laugh, breaking the rules, getting away with it because like they would crack up at my excuses and interrupt with annoying questions. I was just a troll in all facets. Like even like at home. You like, were a troll before internet trolling became a, troll. a thing. I was a troll before it was profitable. Yeah, right. Um, before I then got off, you know, got <laughs> noticed for it and were like, hey, you know, prank shows, why don't you try them? But um, I, even like when I was like two or three uh, I, I used to just, Im- I was imitating everybody uh, um, and, and, and relatives and family members would just be at home, just kind of waiting for me to do them. Some of my earliest memories were me sitting on the front step of our house in Burwood in Melbourne. Um, and just as people would walk past, I would start talking to them in, in, in like a real ochre accent. I'd be like, g'day, mate. And they'd say, oh, g'day, mate. How's it going? And then I'd say, oh, g'day, mate. How's it going? I'd just, Im- I'd repeat exactly back to them what they were saying to me. And behind like, me. Like a little parrot. Like a little annoying Sri Lankan parrot on the step and my family would be inside just watching through the window <laughs> laughing and uh, that was probably my first audience and I, I, I definitely would have enjoyed that. I remember when I was a Muslim camp once, we did this thing called Nazim Live. So after, it was like kind of classes during the day, you know, learning your basics and then at night like infotainment. So like I'll be the host, kind of like when Rove Live was a big thing. And Where were you doing this? This is a like kind of like past Heelsville in Melbourne. Um, yeah, but this is at the camp. At the camps, yeah. Yeah, so I sort of did like sort of a bit of stand-up and then introduced the guests and the guests would be, you know, today we've got a great psychologist coming to talk to us about mental And so then Sister Monique Tui would come up and she would talk and it'd be like a wholesome chat, but I was the funny guy kind of like making learning entertaining. But did anyone at any point, any well-meaning relative was like, Nazim, you need to become an engineer. What is this nonsense? Oh, well, engineer's probably more of an Arab thing, right? Well, yeah, Engineer's probably. probably like third for us. Yeah, right. Yours is like, you're Lebanese, yeah? Like, yeah. So, so that's probably like number one or two. Doctor, Doctor, dentist, engineer. Uh, and number four is disgrace to your family. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. That, well that's probably lawyer. Because I feel like I hear law, law in the Middle East is not as respected as it is in the subcontinent in Australia. But anyway, I studied law and science. I know, but that was, again, a failure. I should have yeah. studied medicine. So I was like a, I was doing the right thing. 
And yep. so people were never doubting that I was doing the right thing. It was when I left, that's when I had to break, you know, come out to my mum. I actually started doing Legally Brown, which is my show on SBS. Yes. And I went to my boss at work and I said, I've got to do this show. I can take some time off if you like, some leave of absence. Um, or, or I don't have to do it if you don't want. You know, honestly, I, I don't have to do it. <laughs> and he goes, what are you talking about? It's your own television show. You just do it. The corporate world's always going to be here. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, fine. So I took time off. Work was fine, but I still was living with my mum and I'd leave the house every day in a suit and drive to not work, change into casual clothes, write and work on this comedy show. So your mum thought you were still going to work as a lawyer? Yeah, and then I used to come home, get changed back in the suit and, oh, mum, work was tough. Anyway, at one point she came, a few months in, she came to, <laughs> so bad. Oh my God, you're like an undercover comedian. Oh, I was just like, I don't know about undercover. Yeah, I was being, a, I was trying to pl please her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I was, under, yeah, it was, anyway, it was, there was, there were so many ways she was going to find out. Like, came, like when it aired on television. Like when it aired, well, I thought she would find out like a week before, my plan was like a week before it airs. I'll say, oh, I'm going to film this TV show. She doesn't know how long TV takes. She thinks 30 minutes of TV might take 35, 40 minutes yeah, to film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, it's, you know, a bit of extra. We'll cut out those bits. She doesn't realize that like two minutes of TV takes a day or something yeah, or two yeah. days and writing. So anyway, so she came to my work three months into this lie and she came to deliver lunch. <laughs> like, so it's about lunch to my mom. She came lunch, uh, reception, freshwater place in South Bank, Melbourne. She said, hello, I'm just here to, <laughs> to drop off lunch for my son. <laughs> And the receptionist was like, sorry, uh, what was your, what's his name? And Nazim was saying, and then she put it in the system. She's like, sorry, he doesn't work here. She goes, no, no, my son, he works here. He, he left the house this morning. He just forgot his lunch or something. Oh, I just want to bring him lunch. And da -da -da, checked on the system. No, he stopped working here three months ago. Oh, my and God. And I was like, what the <laughs> So she called me up. Nazim, what the hell? You're not at work. I've got lunch. And I was like, oh, uh, uh, oh, oh. Yeah, like, I couldn't even come. I said, no, uh, I'm in a subsidiary. Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, she basically, she found out. But she, we never really spoke about it. That was a, her great, probably, disappointment slash just huge worry. Imagine I'm now a clown for life. How the hell am I paying the bills with this thing? So, you know, the, t the TV show and she was like, okay, good. So you're going to go back to work. But then the second season happened and it just started getting busy. So she never said, I accept you as a comedian. Yes. But she started showing up to all of my shows. Well, she probably just needed to know where to go to deliver lunch. She didn't. To be fair. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, you've done a lot of things. You're... Undercover TV show. Got, <laughs> I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. You've written a children's book. You've been on Q and A with Malcolm Turnbull. You've had a Netflix special. What has been the most terrifying oh, of those, and what's been the most rewarding? The most terrifying of those. Oh my goodness. Um, to be honest, Q and A did did scare the shit out of me. Mm. I was working at PwC at the time. I think it was 2011. It was after Bin Laden died. So whenever that was, mm. they were like, Bin Laden is dead. Who do we get on? <laughs> <laughs> There's a comedian guy who works at PwC. I've just named, yeah, you know, but they got me on and I was also on the Islamic Council of Victoria. So mm. the representative body for Muslims in Victoria. So it was a weird, I was, I was many different lives I was juggling, but far out. I remember like feeling immediately out of my depth, but also like a sense of obligation because everyone was like, well, you're the spokesperson. So go ahead. And, uh, I crammed as much as I thought I could for like a day, but then, um, yeah, my, my palms were really sweaty. And I remember just like kind of 
dropping the professional sounding facade when I when we were on air. And I remember I was sort of I gave him a massage, like Malcolm Turnbull when we were back and forthing. And he was getting stressed out and trying you, to. You gave him. I remember a I was massage? like, oh, just chill out, Malcolm, oh. and I like kind of rubbed his shoulders, um, just to, like as I would when you're ribbing your friend and annoying them and kind like of you like, physically rubbed his yeah, shoulders. Yeah, physically rubbed his shoulders. Okay. Like I was like, well, just chill out, Malcolm. And, and then at one point he. Tried to ah, uh, there's a clip on 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 YouTube, um, but it was uh, I think he, no, he didn't try to characterize me as a terrorist, but I, I remember I was like, okay, I've got to be very careful with my words. This next sentence could define me as a terrorist sympathizer or not. Like I was basically saying, you're gonna have Bin Ladens when you have Western intervention. What yeah. do you think's gonna happen? But I remember he said something like, oh, so it's our fault, is it? And I was like, okay. Very careful right now how <laughs> I respond to this. Yeah, but, um, right. But it was like, oh, I was like a, you know, an early 20-something kid from, well, I was an adult, but, you know, it was it was bloody stressful. There is one thing um, that caught me because I remember your facial expression. Yeah. It was a couple of years ago and it was a, a live special on the ABC. I believe it was live. Okay. Um, and it was when John Howard, there were a whole bunch of kind of awards <laughs> and nods oh. given, and John Howard was recognised as the most popular oh, Prime Minister. Talks. Yeah, Australia yes, Talks. Yes, John yes, Howard yes. was recognised as the most mm. popular Prime Minister in history. Yes. Um, and he came and he sat on the panel and mm. then you asked him a question. Like I so said, by now it's more than a decade mm. after the Cronulla riots. Yes. And you asked a question to the effect of, do you think that the Cronulla riots had anything to do with race and racism? Yeah. To which he responded, uh, oh, no, I don't no. believe so. That was not my experience. Not my experience. And so. And your face, I was, I was like. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, well, your experience as a, a, an older white guy in power. Um, but I remember like. That inter- like I was very very torn about even participating in the episode. I was like, oh, now I've got to interview a war criminal. <laughs> um, this is how I view him, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and part of the identity of being not just Muslim, but a brown person in Australia, uh, left lean, all that sort of stuff. I was like, you know, he's he's probably my natural enemy ideologically. So, you know, I was very torn. But I was like, no, I'm gonna participate in the program and ask him some challenging questions. But man, he's one of the greatest politicians. Like he's a very clever politician and he knows how to answer all these questions. He's never been stumped on anything. So I remember asking him that question and he um, and he said it doesn't have anything to do with racism. Yeah, and he said like not in my experience, not in my experience. but in the experience of history books mm-hmm. and everybody oh. who's then looked at that event, it has defined Australia well, as one of our most like modern history's pinnacle racist. Oh, point. and that's the thing. Like you, could, he could have got away with that answer back then, but now I think the thing with asking John Howard questions or outing someone for their outdated views is to literally just let them say it. Um, you're not going to pin him. Like yeah, and I feel like he's not going to get how badly that sounded. Because now he's past his time. Yeah, I guess so. But I'm, I remember like asking him a couple other questions, you know, about the. I think about the war in Iraq and a couple of, but in my ear, and I'm, I don't even know, I'm not outing anybody. Literally, the producer said, Nazim, you, you need to smile a bit more and calm down. <gasps> and like, um, and so they did, they certainly edited um, like a couple of questions out, but it was like one of the most, uh, that, okay, that was probably more stressful than Q&A. Well, I thought that, I saw that in your face because yeah. I'm like every part of your being, like I would if I was to yeah. hear that because it directly impacted both our communities. Absolutely. I would be like... Bro, what are you smoking? And, you yeah. know, can I have some? And also, yeah. uh, that's just a blatant lie. Yeah. I'm imagining recording a Netflix special would be pretty stressful because it's going to be up there 
forever and ever for people to see. But this I want to a very know, triggering episode, isn't I, it? I, <laughs> <laughs> my aim is to leave you traumatised. No, but I actually want to know, like, behind this is, because I always wonder, like, do they edit out any stuff-ups? Because every Netflix thing oh, yeah. I've seen is, looks so seamless. Yeah, yeah. Also, do you get all of your rellos and mates in the crowd to make sure everybody laughs Well, this, this was in Montreal. So it was, a very, it was a kind oh, of a weirder Netflix okay. special experience. Like, we were all sent, like, there's a bunch of comedians went to Montreal to film their specials there. And so, yeah. You couldn't have a rent a crowd. Couldn't have a rent so it's, it's normally when you do a special, it's like, oh, yeah, your home crowd's there. They're like, yeah, he's made it. Look, we all know him and love yeah. him. We've seen him from scratch from when he started out. But these are all just random Montreal people. And um, so, like, I knew nobody. I had to complete, which is in a way, it means that if, they, if they're laughing, they're, well, there's probably a bit of politeness, but also, like, they're like, okay, the joke's good. So you have to win them over from scratch. Yeah. So it's right. a harder, I feel like it was a harder experience, but like a bit more nerve wracking that, you know, I've got to win them over. But once it's going right, then, like, it's just like any other gig. Uh, but, we, but you you, you a- record two. So you record back ah. to back and then they edit between the two. So That's why it looks so seamless. Because I'm yeah. like, these comedians don't forget a line. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of forgetting. I want to talk about funny because there are different types of funny. There are people who are like really funny in their retorts on social media. There's You've got those people who just off the cuff can be funny. And then performance funny is a whole different kind of funny. Mm. But you've written children's book. <laughs> um, I'm children's book funny. Yeah. Like how did you, like what kind of funny craft is that? Well, that's when you're bored in COVID craft. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's when there's no live gigs anymore, funny. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm a dad, so... I think you're a mum. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, you know how it is, like getting the. Yeah, my my daughter read your book in a night. She loved it, oh and she was she's like, "Who is?" By the way, is? it's not just two pages, everyone. No, no, no. Like it's a chapter book. It's 192 pages. Yeah, book one, and I think oh, it's a lot of pictures. Mostly to be fair. pictures, and yeah. that's the most of the work Heath McKenzie does. Yeah, he does it. I just write the words, and he then brings it to life and makes it look great and funny and stuff. But um, the best review I got was, "Oh my god, I love this book." Nazim, tell Nazim she's really funny. <laughs> I'll take that. I honestly, I'll take it. You know, like I, uh, that's a compliment. Also, when people go, "Oh, you're actually funny," like that's a great. I'll take that as well. Okay. Oh, I didn't know. You. Oh, he, you're actually funny. Thank you. But uh, yeah, making your kids laugh, or for me, is the biggest. Like that's the big. That's I just need their validation more than an audience of strangers. Now it's about the kids. Yeah. If they love me or find me funny. Yeah. And I'm if if I come home from a great gig and I, I crack a joke and my kids are like, "Not funny." Like that's kind of actually my night. They haven't done that yet. Yeah, that's, right. That's like, oh gosh. Okay. I always want to be cool to them. Look, you've never been one to shy away from topics many would find off limits. Like I love the daring jokes, the dark humor, the spicy zingers. Like dangerous <laughs> comedy is something that I'm drawn to. How do you know if you've gone too far? Do you test material out on oh. people or do you wait to see if the crowd just stays quiet? The thing is, it's not like I try to do edgy material or stuff that's just... I do all sorts of stuff, but but I think it's sometimes about who's saying it than what's being said. Yeah. Because I'm a Muslim brown guy in Australia. If I make a joke about the same sorts of jokes about society and culture as everybody else, but because I'm saying it, suddenly it's more politically charged. Um, but you can also, I'll challenge you mm. on that, you can also go into territory that others can't. Because mm. when it's self-deprecating yeah. or when it's something to a community you belong to, That's you true. can be... And also, like... You when, can, Oh, kind you of can, jab you there can, a bit more. Absolutely. And, you know, the stuff that we joke about in our communities, you know, my wife's Lebanese, so I found that there's a huge similarity, especially like Muslim uh, chat, like 
but but also like ethnic chat. Like we talk about just like any minority talks about the majority, like when they're by themselves. Yeah. Like the stuff the stuff that we joke about is is always like it's subversive, I guess, when you say it to a broader audience. Yes. Um so doing that those sorts of jokes, making jokes about, you know, the culture, the broader culture is probably challenging. But yeah, you find out immediately in front of the audience and you're always find, you're always making mistakes because that's how jokes are made. You don't get to mm. write them perfectly at home and then try them out once they're finished. You're sort of, you're trying them out for the first time in front of audiences. So, mm. you know, people ask, oh, do you ever bomb on stage? It's like, yes, all the time. You have to bomb on stage regularly because that means you're trying your material. Um, and then the art is in the recovery. The art is in the recovery or the art is in recovering the next day. Like you don't necessarily yeah. recover on stage. Sometimes it's just like, oh, well, that didn't work, and everybody just saw it. Yeah. But, you know, you just got to keep going. <laughs> I think all I've learned in my experience as a comedian is just to try as much as you can to not let them know that you're dying on the inside. <laughs> just try to make it look like, ah, yeah, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and in terms of reading those audiences and recovering from them, do different audiences differ around the country? Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely. are you a hit in Brisbane and not so much in <laughs> Perth or whatever? Oh, you can definitely tell the personality of the cities by the stand-up audiences. So, Sydney, you know where you stand with Sydney. You know, they laugh loud, loud and fast. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. They're just honest people. Melbourne yeah. a little bit cooler, you know. <laughs> We've seen a lot of jokes, so you know you're gonna have to challenge <laughs> work us. Harder. Yeah, yeah, work harder. But they're you know they're general. Um, Adelaide quirkier. They're just like they love the uh, the sort of the, well, Adelaide fringe crowds anyway. But also like Adelaide, if they're coming to watch comedy, they're all they're a little sort of alternative. Perth get dressed up to go out, <laughs> like they're cashed up. They're clearly they ah, right. treat it like a proper night out. And yeah. in fact, I think ticket prices are more expensive over there too. Okay, Brisbane's a surprising thing. Like I feel like they're always overcompensating for being from Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, no, we're good. Yeah, we're yeah, we really like good. You. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. You know, see, um, <laughs> Darwin's just happy anyone's there. You know, same as Tasmania. I've done a couple of gigs there, and you know, so Darwin's. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh my god, you came here? Are you lost? Um, Bali's, yeah, you're stopping off, right? But yeah, the, so it's it's kind of cool. Like you, you genuinely get to feel how like a place, and you know, like it's like traveling. Uh, you know, you can, uh, if you if when I, as a comedian, when you go anywhere, you feel as soon as you go to a backstage of any comedy room, you're like, ah, these are my people. And then I feel like as soon as you can do a gig to an audience of people anywhere, you've connected with the place that you're in. Yeah. Um, you know, you can travel anywhere and not talk to people, just look at the sides. But it's only when you've had that person-to-person -person contact that you're like, mm. oh, now I'm, I'm here. Uh, I'm embedded in the place. So, I want to talk, uh, earlier you mentioned about what's considered saucy. And I totally get it because I can say something and they'll be like, aggressive. <laughs> and it's like, I, I said it in a really like... Yeah. Really soft tone, it's but I'm aggressive. Standing up, looking over the top of you doesn't mean. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I could no. be sitting on the floor, like doing the peace side, and I'll be still, still caught aggressive. Yeah. Um, because Hassan Minhaj, um, there's been this, you know, expose, supposed expose in New Yorker magazine, which looked into some of his stories in his comedy mm. segments, mm. and looked at how truthful he was mm. being mm. in those. And I find it interesting because, A, I kind of understand that mm. a lot of comedy would be embe embellishment. Yeah. And B, do you get that up close and investigative with every comedian's material? Because I think you'd probably find out a lot of them are like quasi-truth, <laughs> a heavy dose of bullshit. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I think it's, um, you know, Hassan Minhaj, 
culturally quite powerful and I think was up for the Daily Show gig. Yeah. And after this sort of controversy, like, in a nutshell, basically, the New Yorker did a piece on him, yeah, just which I think in hindsight now is because he did a 20-minute response video kind of going through the detail of the claims against him and then, like, he kept receipts, you know, um, he recorded the chats with the New Yorker and how they kind of misquoted him or took the... But um, he's very funny and he has a brilliant ability to turn... Uh, really challenging conversations into into thought provoking, beautiful pieces of comedy. Like he, he's just he, he weaves it into political and social commentary yeah, that has yeah. a lot of cut through. Absolutely, he's got a huge audience. Like he does, he does. You know, um, Radio City um, Hall in, in New York, like massive following. And uh, and it's just interesting that they went after him mm. to 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 you know fact check his jokes and stories. And yes, sure, a lot of them were about um, instances of racism that he you know, alleges he experienced and, um, you know. Yeah, like I'll go through for, for our listeners not familiar with them. One pertained to a real life classmate that he says the classmate's dad said that he was too brown to take her mm. to the prom. Another one was a joke including anthrax spilling on his young daughter. Mm. So they're very much related yeah. to his experiences yeah. of racism, which we know makes people yes. hella uncomfortable. No, yeah. And, but, and, and, and yeah, they were like, oh, well, specifically the anthrax didn't fall on your daughter. And he's like, yeah, well, anthrax got delivered to my house. Sorry. You know, I wasn't completely factual. I'm telling a stand-up story. You know, this happened to me. Yeah. Um, Anthrax got sent to my house. Uh, But But why go after him? Yeah, uh, yes. Go after freaking, there's a million, there are comedians saying horrible jokes uh, at the expense of like, I don't know if you saw, look, I don't know this guy, Matt Reif, and I don't like taking down other comedians, but he started his special with like a joke about, like a horrible, like a joke about a a woman and a black eye and like, you know, the food not being good enough and all like, like, Go after that guy. Yeah. It's not Hassan Mina. Look, don't go after comedians before you go after politicians and, you know, executives of companies and people that actually have yes. proper influence. Yes, and who, who do we hold up to be, like, who, who do we hold a truth barometer up yeah, to? Like, and is it a comedian? If it is going to be a comedian, how many other comedians? I found it interesting that they zeroed in on Hassan Minhaj yeah. because if it was a a broader piece <laughs> about embellishments and lies and comedy and they looked into six or seven, mm. it felt like a bit of a hit piece. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'm also not sure what is achieved when you go, yeah, see, racism yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, I know. It's or like, it's not that bad. The anthrax was just next to your daughter, not on her. Like, I'm just, I'm not sure what the public interest or I, gain I, 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 is. I think the interest was something to do with like, oh, yeah, see how people are cashing in on, on woke politics and people are cashing in on identity critical race, all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. And Hassan Minhaj is at the perfect nexus of like, you know, and he's a, he's a privileged middle-class Indian American. and uh, like, So they, they had a real good point to make for people that were like, I hate these people who get away with saying we can't say things and they're also making a career out of it. Bring them down and then the whole idea is down and then we get to like, yeah. you know, be in charge again. <laughs> How much do you embellish in oh, stand-up? Friggin all the time. Like, you know, I told a joke about someone you know, um, accused me of stealing some woman's bag on the plane, like, oh, which actually was true, but the punchline was, you know, and then I was so offended. I took my balaclava off and I was like, excuse me. Like, obviously I wasn't wearing a balaclava. Like, there's some <laughs> obvious lies, but, um, you know, uh, walking into a cafe and having someone, you know, ask me if I'm an Uber Eats guy. Like, that happened to me. I was so furious. I was like, I turn that into... For me, like, a lot of my jokes, in fact, most of them come from, all of them come from real life things that happened to me. Mm. And I find, like, if I make stuff up, it sounds, it actually doesn't, isn't funny for the audience. It starts to sound whimsical and abstract. Mm. But as soon as like I have to say it, like if something's really annoyed me or confused me, it's always funny. So I think I've realized, oh yeah, the audience can recognize truth anyway from me. Mm. And that's funniest. So I go with that. 
So moving forward in 2024, I hear you've got something coming out for Listener with Ursula Carson. What can you tell us about it? Ursula and I are doing a podcast, More Than Enough Already, which is sort of like um, uh, an extension of her podcast called Enough Already. Uh, So basically we just talk crap about a a variety of topics. Is it the stuff that gets under your skin? Things are shit us to tears and 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 in this season listeners so ordinary people that you know, shit you to tears that shit them to tears and that shit us to tears and we argue about whether those things should shit us to tears or just merely shit us mild you know and this is it, it's it's you're not going to learn you will you will turn off the podcast after you finish listening to the entire episode. you're feeling dumb. you will be dumber okay great much dumber that is a hot sell and you're also back on tour you had yeah. a couple of years you haven't been on tour come uh, it's been two years um going all around australia uh, sydney melbourne adelaide brisbane uh, gold coast perth auckland new zealand wellington new zealand i don't want to say that country obviously uh, but yeah uh come to my show <laughs> And laugh. <laughs> and laugh, laugh. Um, and, yeah, uh, free tickets if you say you are Antoinette. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. I will get all of my my friends in Brisbane on Gold Coast to come along. Thanks so much for your time. Can't wait to find out what shits you to tears. Thank you very much. Comedian, actor, children's author, TV host, Nazim Hussain. And you can check out his new podcast, More Than Enough Already, with Ursula Carlson. It's out every Monday, where they vent about all the things that get under their skin. You can join them for an audible complaining session like no other. And you can also join in on that complaining. So just search More Than Enough Already wherever you get your podcasts. It is now time for The Weekend List, where we tell you what we're reading, watching, listening to, cooking, seeing, doing, and everything in between. And of course, joining me is the wonderful Helen Smith. Helen, what have you been sloping on, listening to, doing, aspiring to? Well, I've been trying to consume good, funny news or like good things that make me feel like, ha like, okay. Yeah. And my first thing is the Off Menu podcast with British comedians Ed Gamble and James Acaster. And it's just, it is exactly what I needed. The concept of the podcast is all these guests come on, like big names, celebrities, like my favourite episodes at the moment, the one, Lily Allen, that was great, and Louis Theroux. Oh, great. So good. Also, Louis just rambles that whole episode, and it's a side of him I've never seen, and I was in, I was just loving that. But like, is he funny or just like, like journo rambling? and weird. Like, okay. oh, weird, but like in a good way. I was like, oh my God. Is there a theme to this podcast or just funny people? Yes. So the theme is your dream restaurant. So everyone comes in and you have to say what your dream menu would be for your dream restaurant. can be anything. It doesn't have to mix and match. And they always start with still or sparkling water. So what? Sparkling. Yeah. Same. Sparkling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can I tell you what my ideal restaurant yes. would be? Would be an Italian restaurant that doesn't look at me like I am an insult to their very cuisine because I'm dairy and gluten free. So most oh Italian chefs want to throttle me because yeah, I torture, you. torture their dishes. So an Italian restaurant where the gluten and dairy free options are as delicious mm. as you know, a, a the reg- proper yeah. the proper the, the, pizza and pasta. Yes. I know that doesn't seem like a huge ask, but that's what mine would be. And when, like, the chefs probably don't spit in my food because they're so revolted at what I have done yeah. and how I've modified their and dishes. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. So that has been 
my binge podcast over these, like over the break, over the holidays. It's so good. Could not like, and it makes you think about what is my dream menu. So I love it. Okay. So what is your dream menu? Oh, it's too hard. All I know is there'll be sushi involved. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's doable. Um, So I have been loving listening to Ray. She is a British artist. I didn't realise that that many people knew her. Mm. I'm always like, I like to think that I discovered a person, (laughs) but it seems like I haven't. Um, So she is a singer-songwriter and she used to do songwriting and producing for Beyonce and Rihanna, um, John Legend. That gives you Mm. a bit of a sense for her sound. What I love about her and her debut album, 21st Century Blues, is that she's so fucking angry in it. And the album is essentially her saying F you to the establishment. So she wasn't able to produce an album with her first record label. Is that what you call it? Yeah, record Mm, label. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she had an EP and so she ended up going independent and solo and essentially the lyrics are like a big F you to everybody who stifled her and one of the Mm. songs, the lyrics is something along the lines of, you know, all the white man CEOs, F your privilege, get your pink chubby hands off my mouth, who you think this is? And I'm like, oh, she's a baller. I love it. She speaks my language. She has my rage. She also just has the most epic voice and the album is so good. good. And don't you end up thinking... How did she not have an album before mm-hmm. this? Yeah. Why was she held back? Because exactly. she talks about how much she's been held back. Yeah. No, I love that about her as well. I think one of my favourite songs from her is called Oscar Winning Tears. Oh, yes. It's so good. And I'm just like, ah, oh, like how, I think I think she's one of those artists that's so underrated and has kind of flown under the radar for a bit. And now people are like, yeah, yeah, what the heck? Like, bring her up, bring her up. She's headlining heaps of festivals. Yeah. I think she's an example of what the music industry wants to squash sometimes. Mm. But I love that she's gone independent and she's just like, no, listen to me. I've got something to say. And there's another song where she talks about a producer essentially sexually assaulting her. Yeah, I know. Yeah, And it's heavy, but it's so soulful and it's so good. So, yeah, check out Ray. I hope she blows up. I think she has huge amounts of talent. Um, But, yeah, what else is on your list? So the other thing on my list that I have indulged in as well over the summer like holidays season. Um, I love a drink. I always, I just love a drink. Drink in moderation though, mm-hmm. always. And this is a collagen cocktail. I did not know they existed. I did not know I needed them in my life, but I love it. And yeah, okay, you have questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I have questions um, about the taste. I have questions about yeah. why you think you need to drink collagen. <laughs> I have questions about, like, do you get so drunk that you think your skin looks better? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Actually, these are all good questions. (laughs) So, first of all, I... Hard-hitting journalism. Yeah, hard-hitting. This is what we need. I I tried French martini and lychee martini. Um, Like, lychee martini was my favourite. French martini is still really good, but lychee just... I was like, nah, this one's for me. Yeah. But it did make me feel like as I was drinking it, I was like, this is beginning my 2024 glow up. <laughs> I was like, this is it. And it is called, it, it's very, it is called glow up beverages. So I was like, perfect. Okay. We are not suggesting that you binge drink. No. Or we are not promoting drinking collagen. We have no idea of the medical or otherwise health no. impacts, but I'm glad you like it. It was good. It was yummy. <laughs> In the interest of being good to my bank balance, but still having a bit of a break. So I didn't have enough money to go away on a fancy trip. Um, mm. And I just envied or blocked anybody on my feed who did. Yeah, we mute them. Yeah, we mute, I did 
Yes. I, to be fair, I'm muted, not blocked. And so what I've been doing is the day before or even the day of looking for hotels in my city that are really lovely, mm. that are empty, and then just checking myself in for a day or two. And so you get a lovely room, sometimes a rooftop pool, um, and sometimes it usually several hundreds of dollars to get mm. a room, but because it is the day of or the night before. So whether it's lastminute.com, what if, or just calling the hotel directly, I've been able to have these mini staycations, which are super affordable. That, um, that is a hack. Yeah, it is. It is. So I'm like, yeah, if you want to go away and you can't really afford it and you don't want to have to pay for a flight, a staycation at a nice mm. hotel. Oh, I love that. That's a great hack. And actually that I use this app called Hopper as well that I find cheap hotels through as well. And that reminds me of that. That's another good hack as well. Yeah, if you nice. Want, hopper. Yeah, Hopper. It's really good. Like I got 60% off one hotel and I was like, damn. And you're like, I can buy more of those collagen cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Thanks, Helen. That is it for this week. Thank you so much for being with us and tuning in. It is always an absolute pleasure. And if you want more of the weekend briefing, you can find us on the Listener app. You can download the Listener app in the App Store and you can also follow us there. Otherwise, you can follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And why not give us a rating and a review for this fabulous interview with Nazim Hussain. And FYI, you can review and rate every episode. We'll be back on Monday morning with the team where we'll have the latest headlines straight to your headphones along with an interesting deep dive. Stay safe, everyone. Listener.